are uh, going this morning back to the Old Testament. So if you are relatively new to New City, um, we go through books of the Bible. We try to alternate Old and New Testament. We are going back to the Old Testament, and we're picking up in the book of Genesis. We've gone through the book of Genesis. It's a really long book, and so we've taken it in, in sections. And um, we are starting on the last section of Genesis this morning, uh, the life of Joseph. So we'll be covering in, um, in the next several weeks, chapters 37 through 50. Um, we, as we start off this morning, starting off this series, um, I, I, I wanted us to do a little run-through uh, of the book of Genesis, just because it's been a while since we were there, to give us some help with the context of uh, what we're reading and where this story falls in line with the rest of the stories of the book of Genesis. Um, and I, I want us to start off this morning with, with why. Um, I, I think it's important as we look at the stories to understand that it's not just a random collection of stories. Um, God, through Moses, was trying to communicate some specific things and for very specific reasons. And so I think it'll be helpful for us um, if we start with why, why the book was written, and then do a little catch-up this morning, um, and we'll look at verses 1 through 4 uh, in chapter 37. So, a lot to cover, obviously. Uh, I want us to pray together before we do that, and I would love to have you um, pray with me. We ask this every week. It's an amazing thing. Um, that we have the gift of prayer. We neglect it so often. But God invites us to ask. Um, and so I, I would love it if you would pray with me this morning and let's ask together um, if God would do something incredible in our midst this morning. If the Holy Spirit would be especially good to teach us, to encourage us. Um, and and just a uh, spoiler alert here, um, I... I I am praying and I have been uh, that the Lord would use this morning to grow our faith, to grow our faith in who God is and all that he's done for us. Uh, so uh, I, I want big things this morning and I can't deliver them, but the Holy Spirit can. So would you guys pray with me that he would do that? Yeah, good. Let's pray together. Father, um, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you as we'll go through... Um, your word together. Thank you that you are faithful and true. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that, um, that you would be, you are, you are great and you are amazing and you are here with us. Uh, I pray that you would do an incredible work. I pray that you would encourage us because so many of us need encouraging today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that where there is um, conviction in our lives of sin that's needed, uh, that you would do the good work of convicting us, convicting us um, not to make us feel guilt, guilty and, and, and outcast, uh, but conviction that would lead to repentance, conviction that would lead us to see how great and amazing that you are, um, and, and conviction that would lead us to run to you and not away from you. Uh, we, we want to see you, Father, do great things in our midst this morning. So we are praying that you would do what only you can do. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Okay, so I want to start with why. Again, I think it, it, it will help us to um, see what we're reading in the right light as we go through uh, the book of Genesis. So why the book of Genesis? So I mentioned a minute ago, it's widely believed that Moses wrote the book of, of Genesis. Um, and we are introduced to Moses as a character in, in this big story of God in the next book of the Bible, uh, the book of Exodus. Exodus tells us the story, really, of how the Hebrew people grew in number and became the nation uh, of Israel. So Moses was born at a time when the Hebrew people uh, were slaves in Egypt, um, and, and they were terribly, terribly uh, treated, very cruel. Um, Moses would be called by God, raised up, to confront the Pharaoh of Egypt uh, and tell him that it was time for God's people to, to be set free from their bondage. Now, this bondage that the Hebrew people had been in, they had been in bondage for like 400 years. 400 years. We say that, but it's hard for us really to wrap our mind around how long 400 years is. That's a really long time. So just for a little bit of perspective, um, this year our country, the United States, will turn 247 years old. I'm not really good at math, so um, I think that's right. 247 years old. That is, that, is, that is a long time, but 400 years is longer than that, right? So think about just in our country um, how much our country has changed in 247 years. Think about this with me, 247 years, think about the things that have been forgotten. Think about the things that we have no idea of from 247 years ago. So for the Hebrew people, they had been in bondage for 400 years. For 400 years, they had been immersed in Egyptian culture. They had been immersed in the Egyptian language. Everything that was Egypt, that's what they had been immersed in. That was their life, and that included the religion of the Egyptian people. Right? So for 400 years, they have heard more about Egypt than about themselves. For 400 years, they have heard more about who Egypt was and more about who Egypt's God was than they have about who they are or about who their God is. So Genesis is their story. Moses is reminding the Hebrew people, really, God through Moses is reminding the Hebrew people of how they got to the place that they are. Really, more than that, he, he is reminding them through Moses, God is, of the great story that is unfolding that they are a part of. God is reminding them who he is and, and what he has done and what he is doing even then as they are preparing or have left already their, their slavery in Egypt. Um, it, it, it was and it is a story uh, of a God who is faithful and true. Right? That's what we see as, as, as the Egyptian or the Hebrew people are looking at this, preparing to leave Egypt. It's important that they know that their God is faithful and true. Always, always, always faithful and true. I think a big part of what was um, or, or why things were being communicated in the way that they were is that ultimately this was a call of faith for the Hebrew people. 
that, that they would hear from God, that they would know their God, they would be reminded of his great power, that they would be reminded that he is greater than Egypt and greater than uh, the, the, the gods that Egypt claims, that, that he is the one true God, and that they would not just remember him, but that they would trust him in their unfolding story. So, um, what do we see in this story? What do we see that leads us up to chapter 37? I, I think to understand that, we start at the beginning and we just quickly work our way through. And in the beginning, we see creation, fall, and promise. Creation, fall, and promise. We talk about creation, fall, redemption, restoration a lot here at New City. Um, and, and, and that's a part of this story, right? Um, the story of creation, the story of the fall, but a, a, an incredible promise from God. So Genesis starts with creation. Uh, again, let me remind you just to keep this not in the context of us, but in the context of the Hebrew people. That they are being reminded of who their God is as they have been immersed in hearing the stories of the Egyptian gods. Genesis starts with this um, creation, with our creation. God speaking into existence everything that is, planets, stars, the earth, and everything on it. God creates the earth. He creates a garden on the earth. And then he creates Adam and Eve, the crown of his creation the most special in his creation, and he places them in that garden. God would come to them in the cool of the day and fellowship with them. They, they saw God. Like I have no idea what that was like, but they saw God, and, and they spent time with him face-to-face, uh, -face, if you will. They, they heard his voice. They spoke with him. They fellowshiped. They communed with God. And in God's eyes, as he looked at this creation and his time with Adam and Eve, God said it was all very good. Very good in the eyes of God. Very good in the eyes of the one true God. Again, not the gods of Egypt, but the, the only God who is. Not the many gods that the Egyptians worship, but their God. This was their God. This is their story. It was their God who spoke everything that is into being. We know, of course, that the, um, the, the goodness in the story didn't last very long as God fellowshiped with them. But Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan. Eve took of the forbidden fruit, the fruit they weren't supposed to eat of, that one tree in the garden. God said not to eat of that, and she did. Adam was right there with her and watched Adam. She turned and handed the fruit to Adam. Adam took of that fruit as well, knowing exactly what he was doing. He took of the fruit, and when he did... When he did, sin entered into the world. And with that, everything was changed. We call it the fall because that's what it was. It was a terrible, terrible fall. A fall from sinlessness. A fall from everything that God intended creation to be. Sometimes we wonder in our own lives. We look around and we wonder, just as the Hebrews did, how in the world everything has gotten to be such a terrible mess. We, we look at our world and, and our own lives and we see the difficulties and the struggles and the stresses of our lives. We, we look and see the turmoil around us and we wonder, why do these bad things happen? This is why they happen. 
They happen because of sin. They happen because of the fall. When, when Adam and Eve took, everything was changed. Adam and Eve, uh, their, their, their world was rocked by sin, and the, the effects of that sin have carry on, carried on generation after generation. Immediately after taking the fruit, there was, there was guilt, there was shame. They hid themselves from one another. They hid from God, running from Him. When, when God came to the garden and questioned them, about what happened. They blamed one another. Adam even blamed God. Sin had separated them from one another, and sin separated them from their holy God. God could no longer fellowship with them, and they, because of their sin, could no longer fellowship with God. They could no longer be in his presence. So Adam and Eve were physically kicked out of the garden and removed from the the personal and, and, and physical presence of God himself. But this was not God's desire, that, that this would be the end of uh, the crown of his creation. This was not God's desire that he would forever be separated from humanity. And, and, and though the results of sin would be, would be devastating, we, we have this incredible promise in Genesis 3.15. God tells Adam and Eve and the serpent in these verses, what would happen because of, uh, of sin. And he says this to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And what God is saying is that her seed, the seed that will come from, from the woman will be hurt one day by the serpent, a bruise to the heel. But he, the seed of the woman, would deal a a, a death blow to the serpent's head. He will come, the promise is, and crush the serpent's head. Now, it may not seem like much in that verse, in these verses. It may not seem like much, but it's fleshed out through all the Old Testament and, and into the New Testament. Through the prophets, through all of the promises, this serpent crusher will come. And when he comes, he will not only defeat the serpent, but also all of the consequences of Adam's sin. He will come and defeat death and sin and Satan. He will fix the brokenness of creation. He will redeem people from sin. And once more, he will restore people to God as it was meant to be in the garden. And he will be their God and they will be his people. Restoration. This is the promise of the serpent crusher who is to come. Now, after this promise, Genesis 3.15, after this promise, the, the story of Genesis and the unfolding of God's plan moves through the generations of human history, right? So the generations we see from Adam to Jacob, the generations from Adam to Jacob. After that promise in Genesis 3.15, we come to chapter 4. And when we come to chapter 4, Adam and Eve have children. They have two sons, Cain and Abel. Now, with the same quickness that we see sin entering into the garden, we find sin in their offspring. Cain brought an offer to the Lord, and the, offer that he, the offering that he brought to the Lord 
seems to have maybe been haphazard and thoughtless, like he was just, here, I've got to do this. Well, his brother Abel was, was thoughtful in, in his offering to the Lord, and he brought the very best that he had to give to the Lord. So the Lord showed favor to Abel because Abel loved the Lord and, and, and gave uh, abundantly and gave with thought and consideration to God. The Lord showed favor to Abel in anger and jealousy at his brother Cain. Cain killed Abel, murder. Sin was rooted deep, deep in the heart of humanity. And while we see some good reading about the offspring of Adam and Eve, we also see depravity. We see anger and bitterness and vengefulness. We see murder. The descendants of Adam are listed then from, from one son to another. And with each that is listed, we read that a, a, a one lived this many days, so they lived this many years, and he died. And we read that again and again and again. And he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. It is a reminder. It is a reminder to us. It was a reminder to the Hebrew people that sin's wage was still being paid generation after generation after generation. The promise that God had made in the beginning, when you eat the fruit of this tree, you will surely die. They were living in that promise. Then we came to Noah, Genesis 5, 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years. He fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Noah offered a glimmer of hope. This one shall bring us relief from the curse of God, the curse of God that came because of sin. And in a sense, in the story of Noah, we see that. In a sense, we read in chapter 6 that the, the world had become utterly sinful and, and so wicked that God was sorry that he had put man on the earth. So God determined to wipe out humanity and to wipe out essentially all of the earth. All of it except for Noah and his family. Noah had found favor in the sight of the Lord. So the flood comes, God floods the earth, but he saves Noah and his family through the building of the ark. God would use Noah and his family to start over. Now, we, we might imagine that with, with Noah, who, who had found favor in the sight of, of God, Noah, who seemed to be a righteous man, a good man, with this good man and his family starting over, now maybe, maybe we have a chance. God told Noah and his family the same thing that he had told Adam and Eve in, in the first couple of chapters. He blessed them and he told them to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. Maybe, maybe this would be the start that humanity needed. That wasn't the case. We know the story of Noah. Sin was still in the heart of man. Sin that would be passed on from father to son and from from father to son and from father to son. Noah would get drunk. His son would dishonor him. Sin remained. In chapter 11, we see an entire people once more disregarding God's commands just as Adam and Eve had. God had said for them to spread out, to multiply, to fill the earth. Instead of filling the earth, they, they, they gathered together to form a city, and they sought to build a tower in that city. 
the Tower of Babel, we call it, a tower that would take them to heaven, a tower that would take them to God. They could be like God when they built this tower. In fact, they wanted to be their own God, disregarding the commands of God. They were living the way they wanted to live, doing the things that they thought were right. Following Babel, we read of the generations of one of Noah's sons, Shem. And one father after another, having sons and daughter, one line after another after another, until we come to Terah. And Terah would father Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Abram. Abram is a name that we are probably familiar with, Abraham. Abraham becomes not only the focus of the story of Genesis, but also of God's plan and God's promise. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, and as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Up until this point in the story of Genesis, we saw people who, who may have offered a degree of hope, Cain and Abel, Noah, Noah's descendants, but we didn't see this, the furthering of God's promise. Now we see that. Now we see that through, through Abraham, the furthering of God's promise. Abram, go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will give you descendants. I will give you a land. I will bless you. And through you, all the families of the earth, all the peoples of the earth, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This was a promise. Through you, I will make for myself a people. That's what God is doing. That's what God is telling Abraham. Through you, I will make for myself a people, a nation, a land, a, a, a people ultimately of and from all the peoples of the earth. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Through Abraham, God is planning to make for himself the people that he lost in the garden. But how would he do it? How would he do that? Would, would, would Abraham be the Savior? Would Abraham be the serpent crusher? Would he bring redemption? Of course, we know the story, and Abraham would not be the one. It would not be Abraham. We, we see in Abraham's life, truthfully, the same things that we saw in everyone else's life up until this point. Abraham did believe the promises of God sometimes. Like when he left, God said, go to the land that I will show you and I'll make you a great nation. Abraham believed the promise of God and he left. But we also see again and again and again in the life of Abraham days where he did not believe God. Days where he did not trust in the promises of God, where he was faithless and chose his own path. Choosing to be his own God, not believing that God could do the things that he said he would do. Abraham lied more than once about who Sarah, his wife, was, putting her in danger. He did that just so that he could save himself. Save himself from any potential danger, any problems. As if God needed Abraham to lie. Right? This is Abraham not believing the promise of God. I'm going to make you a great nation. Well, God, things are looking kind of sketchy here, so I am going to lie. 
I'm going to take this into my own hands because obviously you don't have it under control. When Sarah, who was, who was old in age, could not have children, Sarah, Sarah offered a, a, one of her slaves, a servant, to her husband, hoping that her, her servant would, would bear a child for him. Abraham, Abraham agreed and took her, having an illegitimate son. Again, as if God needed help in fulfilling the promise that he had made to Abraham. Abraham, I I will make you a great nation. You will have descendants, descendants who who will number too many to count. Faithless, Abraham said, it doesn't seem to be happening, God, so I'm going to do it my way. Abraham allowed the mistreatment of his servant and his illegitimate son. He himself mistreated them, and he left them in the wilderness at one point to die. Left them alone to die. And yet, again and again and again, God remained faithful to the promises that he had made to Abraham. Though Abraham failed, God would not. And he would remind Abraham multiple times, Abraham, the promise that I made to you, I am keeping. Abraham, the things that I said that I would do in and through you, I will do in and through you. Through you, I will make for myself a people. Through you, Abraham, your descendants will be like the sands on the seashore, like the stars in the sky, too many to count. And Abraham, through you, you you will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Abraham would die never seeing those descendants, never receiving in full the land that he was promised. But God did give him a son, Isaac. God sovereignly worked then to provide Isaac with Rebekah, his wife. And it is an incredible story of the sovereignty uh, and graciousness of, of God. It is a, a, an incredible story of, once more, how God provides. God passed on the promise that he made to Abraham very specifically to Isaac, his son. I will be with you. I will bless you. I will give you these lands, the promises that I made to your father, I am making to you. And in your offspring now, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God gave Isaac sons, Esau and Jacob. Amazingly, we see in his family life the exact same thing that we saw in Abraham's family life. He lies about his wife to save himself. He has sons, and and one son he loves more than the other. The other son his wife loves more, and so they, they, they don't love equally their children. It's obvious in their life their family is torn apart. The, the, the younger son steals the, steals the blessing of the older son through deception. So we see in that family all the things that we saw in Abraham's family. We see distrust, division in the family, deceit, sin, sin. All of those things, all of this depravity in, in this family, this very special family, the family of God's promise. All of that carries over to Jacob. Jacob was the younger son who stole the older brother's blessing, right? He stole Esau's blessing. Jacob was sent to Laban, a distant relative, where he would be safe from Esau's anger. Esau wanted to kill his brother at that point. There, Jacob would find a a, a wife. 
He would find a wife, but the story of Jacob is filled with deceit and more family brokenness, all of it seemingly increasing in Jacob's life. Jacob wanted to marry Rachel. He loved Rachel. Rachel's dad said yes and then tricked Jacob, tricked Jacob into marrying Leah, um, Rachel's sister. Eventually, in this long story, Jacob would also marry Rachel, but he loved Rachel and he did not love Leah. Rachel in in this story could not give birth, but Leah did. Leah had four sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Rachel, in in jealousy and hurt, sent her servant. Gosh, here we go again, generation after generation. Sent her servant to her husband, hoping that through the, the, the servant, she would give birth on Rachel's behalf. Again, not trusting in God, not trusting in the promises of God, taking matters into her own hands. Bilhah, the servant, gave birth to Dan, uh, and then another son, uh, Naphtali. Leah, at this point, could not get pregnant again, and Leah was jealous, so, so she did the same, sending her servant in, and from Zilpah came Gad and Asher. Leah had two more sons, Issachar and Zebulun. Rachel would finally, finally conceive and give birth twice, two sons, Joseph and Benjamin, but giving birth to Benjamin, Rachel would, would die. There's so much more in Jacob's story that we could talk about. Rape, murder, deception, 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 deception after deception. I, I don't even know, like when you read this story, I don't even know if Jerry Springer could have had him on his show. I, I mean, this is the biggest mess I've ever read. I, I've seen a lot of messes. This is, this is the worst Again and again and again, we see the sinfulness of man. We see the brokenness. We see the results of the fall. We see anger. We see lies. We see division. Husbands taking, taking servants, the wives sending the servants. This is, these were slaves. This is essentially rape and abuse of others. We, we see people being, being left in the wilderness to die. We, we, we see people killing people. It, yes, in the story of the patriarchs, there are, are moments of great fate, but they are always followed, it seems, by, by terrible and seemingly overwhelming faithlessness. Faithlessness. We see people running from God. We see people disobeying Him. Seeking to be Him. Seeking to be their own God. The sin of the garden becoming the sin of every generation. And so we come to Genesis 37. From Jacob to Joseph. Verse 1. Chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. 
and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So God has extended the promise that was made to Abraham through the generations to Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, 12 sons of the promises that that God made to Abraham. In these 12 sons, we see the sins of the father now being passed on to them. Jacob's family lived together, right? Including the sons of his wife's servants. Joseph spent time with them, and they shepherded together in the fields. But Joseph, right, we read about how his brothers didn't like Joseph, and I think sometimes we skip right over the part about Joseph not liking his brothers. Verse 2 says that, that Joseph brought a bad report of them to Jacob. Now, the words that are used here in bringing a bad report um, to Jacob, the father, most commonly mean um, something being made up. Telling a tale, something that isn't true. Joseph was telling the father lies about his half-brothers from Bilhah and Zilpah. Joseph, Joseph did not like his brothers. Joseph was already loved more than the other sons, verse 3 tells us. Jacob, um, now called Israel in the story, didn't hide the love that he had for, for Joseph. He gave Joseph, of all the children, a, a special robe made of many colors. Because of the father's love for Joseph, the brothers hated Joseph. Joseph didn't make it any better on himself. It says that the brothers could not speak peacefully to him or of him. And this is a foreshadowing of what was to come in this final section of Genesis. The sins of the father are being passed on to the sons, one generation after the next. There is hatred, jealousy, division, lying, scheming, and and as we will see, even worse than that. Here we see in the introduction of Jacob's sons another generation of faithless, sin-filled humanity. Clearly. And yet. And yet this story is far from over. And and yet in all of the hurt, in all of the hate, in all of the sin, God was working all things together for good. He always is. See, the the promises that we are talking about from God here did not hinge on on the faithfulness of men. The promises that we are talking about that God has made, they did not hinge on the faithfulness of Jacob or of his sons or of Isaac or of Abraham. God made a promise in Genesis 3.15 and here it is beginning to unfold. God would form for himself a people and this is the way that he would do it. His promise in Genesis 3.15 that he would send a serpent crusher. That promise did not depend on the goodness or the righteousness of humanity. Do you hear me? God said, I will do this. I will send him and God will indeed do that. 
God's promises to Abraham were the same as we read the story of Abraham. These were unilateral promises that God was making. It was a a covenant that God made with Abraham that, that depended in absolutely no way on Abraham. Abraham, I will make you a great nation. It, it was not Abraham, if you, if you do these things and if you live a righteous life and if you act right, then I will do this. No, Abraham, I am going to make you a great nation. I will give you a land and I am going to fill that land with your descendants. You will be blessed and in you and through you, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. That unilateral covenant stood not on the faithfulness or the goodness of Abraham. It stood solely on the word of God. And that promise would be passed on to Isaac. Isaac, who would also fail miserably at being righteous. Isaac, who would, who, who would love his family poorly. And from Isaac, from Isaac, God would pass his covenant on to Jacob. And man, what a mess, as we just read, that Jacob's life was. Jacob, still in the midst of that mess, I will bless you. Jacob, this promise that I've made to your father, I am making it to you. I, I will make you a great nation, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Blessed, though you have been faithless. Blessed though you have been faithless, blessed though you have lied and cheated and failed to follow me, blessed though these sons that you are raising are also liars and cheats, they envy and worse. God's plan will unfold even more in this section of the life of Joseph. And God's people, right? Remember the why that we started with? God is, is writing to a people who are either in bondage and about to leave 400 years of slavery, or they have just left. The, those people will hear and see and read the story of Joseph and the story of Genesis, and they will see the faithfulness of their God. They will see themselves in the story. They will see that they are descendants of, of a sinful and broken lot, just like they are sinful and broken. Descendants of people who often got it wrong, just like they got it wrong, and just like they will get it wrong. But they are descendants of a people who knew their God. And they will know this God. They will know this God, the God of creation who spoke the stars and planets into existence, who, who desired for himself a people. They would know this God, and, and they would be his people, and he would be their God. This God has made them promises, promises passed on from one generation to the next generation. God will make them, even as they are in bondage and coming out of bondage, hear the promise, Hebrew people. I will make you a great nation. I will give you a land. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, even though you are in bondage. Even though you wander in the wilderness, I will do what I will do because I am God. It's not because you are great. It is not because you were righteous. It is not because the, the patriarchs were great. It is not because the patriarchs were righteous. It is because their 
God is great. And he is faithful and he is true always. New City, that is true for us. That is true for you. God is faithful and true to you. You, in, in your own faltering. You, in your, in, your own, in your own failings. God is faithful and true always. In our faithlessness, God is always faithful to his promise. And I know... I know this is true because we see it again and again and again in Scripture. We see it again and again through the stories of Genesis. We'll see it again and again in this section just on the life of Joseph. And we see it throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. He is faithful and true in all of Scripture. But I know it's, I know it's true when I look at my own life. When I see in my own life that even in times of my faithlessness, he has been faithful. When I, when I look at my own life, I, I see the faithfulness of God even in my floundering, even in my failures. And I know it's true because I've seen the same thing in so many of your lives. In, in, in your floundering, in your faithlessness, in your failings, God has always been faithful and always been true and he will continue to be. I know as well that it is true because he has done just what he said that he would do. The seed that he promised as a blessing to the nations, he has delivered. His name is Jesus. Galatians 3.16 says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. In your line, Abraham, will all the peoples of the world be blessed. Jesus is that blessing. In him, God is redeeming fallen humanity, fallen men and women, just like Abraham and Sarah. In him, God is and will fulfill his promise, all of his promise, promises, but he will fulfill his promise. The serpent crusher is coming. When Jesus returns, he will crush the head of, 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 of the serpent, defeating with him death and sin. Death and sin and Satan are no match to Jesus. And when he returns, he will gather to himself a people. He will gather to himself God's people, all those who love and follow him. Too many to number. They will be too many to number, just like he promised Abraham in chapter 12. Your descendants will be too many to number, like the grains of sand on the seashore, like the stars in the sky on a cloudless night. They will fill the earth. And he will be our God. And we will be his people. And it won't be because we are, we are good. And it won't be because we got it all right. It won't be because we are good, because we are faithful. We see. We see in Scripture that isn't true. We see in our own lives that isn't true. It will be because he is faithful. It will be because he is true. And that we see as well. 
I think the point in all of this is to see how great and mighty our God is. To see His faithfulness. To see that He is true even when we are not. To call us to believe. To believe and to follow Him. Let's pray. Father, You are faithful and true. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your mercy and your kindness. Thank you that you are not like me. That you are faithful and true always. Thank you that these promises don't depend on me but hang solely on your word. I pray, Father, that we would see your goodness. I pray that we would see your faithfulness to us as we, as we think over the, the, the book of Genesis, as we dig into this next section on the life of Joseph. I pray that we would see how faithful and true that you are. I pray that we would see ourselves in light of that, that we struggle we are far more like Adam than like Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray when we see that it wouldn't be a sight that leads us to guilt or shame or drives us away from you. I, I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to see that and, and be driven to the Father who loves us, who is gracious, who is kind, who is always faithful and true. I pray that we would see the grace that is ours in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that we would, would grow to love you more and to trust you more deeply. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.